Hello and welcome to the Chiaroscuro Jazz Podcasts. I'm George Graham, Director of Artistry and Repertoire for the Venerable Jazz Label, celebrating our 50th anniversary and featuring over 100 titles by some of the world's great jazz musicians. This time we have the second part of our feature on the great trumpet player Clark Terry, whose musical career spanned more than 70 years. He was one of jazz's most widely recorded trumpeters, appearing on over 900 albums. He led groups on four Chiaroscuro recordings, Recordings between 1989 and 2004. Last time we heard Mr. Terry talk about his beginnings in jazz in St. Louis, leading up to stints with Count Basie and Duke Ellington, and serving as a mentor for generations of jazz musicians. This time we'll highlight his last Chiaroscuro album, recorded in 2004, with a big band of mostly emerging musicians at the time, though some have gone on to significant jazz careers of their own. This is a live recording made at a venue called Marehans in Bern, Switzerland, in May of 2004. Later, we'll hear Clark Terry in his own words. But first, here's the big band with a great arrangement of the theme from the TV cartoon show The Flintstones, followed by a piece called Easy Does It. Here's Clark Terry with the Young Titans of Jazz. Wilbur?
Thank you. Easy does it.
Thank you. We would like to acknowledge the presence of them to say hello to a bunch of very, very beautiful people, our very dear friends. The swingingest band in the land is in town. Count Basie. How about the Count Basie today? Clark Terry, with a group called the Young Titans of Jazz, recorded in May of 2004 at the International Jazz Festival in Bern, Switzerland. One of the distinctive features of many of Chiaroscuro's CDs is the Jazz Speak track, in which the artists talk about their music in their own words. In the case of this release, it's a two-disc set with one disc solely dedicated to Clark Terry's extended Jazz Speak. Here he is talking about playing with the Great Lakes Navy Band, and then on meeting a young Quincy Jones and also Miles Davis. Back in the early 40s, there was a great move on by the U.S. Navy to recruit black musicians to form a band at Great Lakes. So a guy by the name of Len Bowden, B-O-W-D-E-N, Len Bowden, he became the person in charge of recruiting personnel for this band. So I volunteered because at this time, they were drafting everybody. When they drafted, you go right straight to the army to do all of the chores that most people didn't want to do. So we had a chance to jump the gun and enlist in the Navy, and it was a better way of life. So we joined the Navy, a bunch of us. Ernie Wilkins was one of my colleagues when we joined the Navy, his brother, Jimmy Wilkins. And we went to Great Lakes, and we became a part of what was referred to as ship's company. So everything was referred to as a ship. So we had all this Navy talk. The barracks was a ship, the floor was a deck, and the walls were the bulkheads, and the front was four, behind was after all that Navy talk. We slept in hammocks, and it was the most horrible sound you would hear all night long. It was big, bang, bang. People falling out of the hammocks, trying to turn over and fall and break arms and legs. During the time that we were in the Navy, in the formative years of the Great Lakes Naval Station Band. Of course, we know we had two navies. You had a Caucasian Navy and a Black Navy. So we, of course, were relegated to one little barracks, barracks number 1812, at a camp known as Camp Robert Smalls. So after we had passed the boot camp, our duty was to form bands from the recruits that came in to the tune of about 20, 25 pieces, and shipped them out to different naval bases around the country. During the time that we were waiting to form bands, we had a lot of time on our hands, so everybody who came into the barracks not having been assigned to a band was referred to as a FFT for further transfer in a boot camp. So we were all there in boot camp and FFT, and with all this time we had to spare, we'd blow from early in the morning till late at night, and we'd just have sessions. So in the fat part of the day, everybody would come into the barracks and we'd have great sessions. We had lots of marvelous musicians there. There were people like Rox McConnell, Hobart Dawson, Gerald Wilson. Some of the names wouldn't make sense to the public, but there were people who were already into jazz. And those those who were younger, we had a chance to learn a lot of stuff from these people. And as a result, we'd have a chance to improve, practice, and work on our shortcomings uh, every day, along with some of these people who had created some of the stuff. For instance, Merle Tarrant, who was uh, one of St. Louis's top lead players, and Gardner Paul Campbell, who had played with Lester Young, 
So we'd have sessions, and all these cats were in the session, and they would give us an opportunity to guide ourselves by what they were doing. And we learned all the tunes and the changes and so forth. So it was a great experience. George Hudson was a fine trumpet player who led the George Hudson Band. And we learned a lot about playing melodies with nice intonations and tones and sounds and so forth with George. So it was really a great experience for me. In all those bands, I learned something. I was playing with Basie's small group, and we had broken up the big band because Basie had run into financial problems, and they had talked him into starting a small group and giving up the big band. Now, during that period, we played the Seville Theater in Seattle, Washington. We were working there pretty regularly, and so this little kid came in a couple of nights in a row, and one night he came in and stopped me and said, Mr. Terry, my name is Quincy Jones, and I'm learning to play the trumpet and write music. He said, I'd sure appreciate it if I could take some lessons from you. So I said, well, Quincy, you go to school, and during the day when you're in school, I'm sleeping, and when you're sleeping at night, I'm out working somewhere, hanging out. So how are we going to do this? So he said, well, could I come a couple of hours before school in the morning? So I said, yeah, it'll be about 6 o'clock, 6.30. So I get to bed about 5 o'clock from hanging out and working in the jazz joints. So I said, okay, I couldn't dare say no to this kid. And I shudder to think what would have happened if I had said no. I never would have forgiven myself. So he'd come by every morning, and we were there for a month or two. And I'd give him trumpet lessons. He had a nice long shirt and played very nicely. So... uh we gave him all kinds of lessons. And when we had to go out, we were working out there for a while. We had to go out and go down to San Francisco for a couple of gigs and come back. So by this time, Bob Graff had been scouted by Woody Herman, by Carlos Gastel, and they swiped him from the band. But we were lucky enough to get Wally Gray at the time. So we went out, and as we were going, Quincy said to me, Mr. Terry, I'm learning to write music, too, so this is my first arrangement. Could you take it and see if the band could play it for me? I said, sure. So I took it down, and we passed it out, and Basie and Wardell and Freddie and Jimmy Lewis and Gus, they laughed. Oh, they laughed. What is this crap? So I took it back, and we went back to Seattle for his first lesson, 5.30 in the morning. Uh, He said, Mr. Terry, did you... Did the band play my music? I said, yeah, we did, Q. It was very nice. There's some little spots in there that you have to work over, and I'll go over with you. And I think you're on the right track, man, and all you have to do is just keep your same thoughts in mind and just correct it a little more as far as theory and harmony is concerned. He said, you really think so? I said, oh, yeah, I know so. So I shudder to think if I'd have discouraged him in that scene, too. So he stayed involved, and, of course... Look at him now. <laughs> Miles was very young when I first met him, and he'd come from a pretty well-to-do family. His father was a very successful dentist, and he never had any problems with the finances as a kid. When I first met him, he was introduced to me by his teacher, Elwood Buchanan. And Buke used to chastise him because he loved Harry James. Well, we all love Harry James, but Miles was playing with a severe vibrato. And Buke had a ruler that he had to wrap the tape around the end of. And every time Miles would play with the vibrato, he'd take this ruler 
and whack the hell out of his hands. He said, stop shaking that damn note. You're going to shake enough when you get old. So I think that that plus the fact that he used to scrounge around and get all the mouthpieces that were prescribed by Gustav, the first trumpet teacher with the St. Louis Symphony. The mouthpiece is called Heim, H-E-I-M. And he used to like these Heim mouthpieces. So every time I'd see him, he'd say, hey, man, you got any Heims for me? I used to hustle them up for him. So I think that between the Buke cracking his knuckles with that ruler and using them high mouthpieces, he helped to develop that puritanical sound that he developed. Even though Bird didn't like this sound, he made him put the mute in. Put the mute in! <laughs> but Bird liked it a little later on, though. Clark Terry from his Jazz Speak track. Now here's more from the big band at the 2004 International Jazz Festival in Bern, Switzerland, with an original ballad called Sheba, followed by a piece called The Serpent's Tooth.
Thank you for Shiva.
Thank you very kindly. Clark Terry and the Young Titans Big Band from the album called Live at Marahans in Switzerland in 2004 with The Serpent's Tooth and before that an original by Clark Terry called Sheba. Now here's more from Mr. Terry's Jazz Speak track talking about his long tenure with the NBC Tonight Show Orchestra and then on the making of this album. After I got involved in big bands and then went on the road and went off the road, an opportunity came up for a job at NBC. The Urban League had done some research into all the major sources of industry in New York to discover and to find out why there was not more black representation in their particular fields. So they went to NBC and asked why there was not more black representation on television. At this particular time, ABC and CBS, the other two networks, had started using black musicians. They had Ernie Wilkins, Hank Jones, and Jimmy Nottingham, and so forth. So NBC said that there were no black musicians who could play music on television. So the Urban League didn't believe that, so they made questionnaires to send them all over the place. Who do you know on this instrument that could qualify to play music on the television? So my name came up on just about every ballot. So at this particular time, I was with Quincy Jones in Free and Easy in Europe. So Aaron Levine was contractor for NBC for the Tonight Show band and all those things. So he called my wife. My wife called me. And I told us, well, I'm under contract to Harold Orlin and Quincy Jones. So what should I do? So she said, well, I'll tell him. So by the time she told him, we had played the Maurice Chevalier Theater in Paris with an English-speaking show. So it didn't gel too well. And it went right down the drain that first week. So we went in, and the signs were on the wall. The show was now defunct and finished closing or whatever. And I jumped on the phone and called my wife and told her that if that job is still open, call Aaron Levine and tell him I'll be home on the first thing smoking. So I saw a cat smoking a pipe. (laughs) She called me back and said the job is still open. So I told her, hold it for me, I'll be right there. So I came in and went to NBC and took the job and stayed there for a long time. Last April, I had an opportunity to do the Burn Festival. Hans Zubrook is a good buddy of mine. He's a cornet player, has a band there. He owns the hotel, and he's the leader of the Burn Festival. And each year, he will call me and ask me what kind of a project I think we should do. So one year, I had some girls. Another year, I had old-timers. I had Doc Cheatham, Snooky Young, Sweet Edison, Joe Wilder, and people like that with the old-timers and trumpets. Then one year I had a tribute to Norman Grants, and we did a little miniature jazz at the Philharmonic. We had a very good program. And then last year he called me and said, what do you think we should do? I said, well, I don't know. What do you got in mind? He said, I'd like to see you get your students together and put together a band. I said, well, that's going to take some doing. So he said, don't worry about it. Just get them together, and I'll send tickets, and we'll come over, and we'll put the band together. So we did just that and went over, rehearsed the band, at the club at Mary Ann's, where the festival was. And after we played three or four nights, we recorded for two nights. One night was the night that the Count Basie Band was in town, and they came in and listened to the band. Clark Terry with his Jazz Speak track. Now let's wrap up with the band's interpretation of the Gershwin classic, Oh Lady Be Good.
I'm so awfully misunderstood. Ladies, 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 be good to be here. All alone in the city of burn. Won't somebody please say pity? Sweet, 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 lady, be good. Clark Terry with the Young Titans Big Band in Bern, Switzerland in May of 2004 with Old Lady Be Good. The group included Clark Terry, Stepko Gut, Frank Green, Tony Lujan, and Crystal Torres on trumpets, Barry Cooper, Conrad Herwig, Stafford Hunter, and Dion Tucker on trombones, Lakeisha Benjamin, Bradley Ali, Steve Guerra, Whitney Slayton, and Adam Schroeder on saxes, Helen Sung on piano, Derek Hodge on bass, and Marcus Gilmore on drums. You can find all four of Clark Terry's Chiaroscuro albums, along with other recordings on the label in which he appears, along with more than 100 Chiaroscuro releases on our website, chiaroscurojazz.org, where you can find a searchable database of the artists and music on the label, lots of other information, and more of these podcasts. The albums are available on CD, as a download, and 
streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, and other popular platforms. And you can listen to continuous jazz from the over 100 albums available on Chiaroscuro 24 hours a day on the Chiaroscuro channel, available at the Chiaroscuro website. This is George Graham. Thanks for listening to this Chiaroscuro podcast, and we invite you to join us next time for more music from great jazz artists.